Welcome to the King's Cast. Dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Thank you very much. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. The boys and girls are going out. That's absolutely great. Great to see them. Lord, bless the kids and all that are teaching them. You know, uh, talking about kids, um, it's great to be back on the, one year since we were here for, and seeing Peter, isn't it good that he goes to bed happy? <laughs> he works for me now at Madison, where, where he's gone to work at the Bible College, and I can't wait to see him and congratulate him on sending that little DVD and going to bed every night happy. <laughs> In fact, I'm going to tell the students... <laughs> And uh, I'm sure that'll be really good. He'll really be delighted at that. One year on. Um, uh, it's, it's been a tremendous year. And to see what God is doing and to go out last night and hear some of the stories, absolutely tremendous. If I'm looking slightly tired, anybody think I look a little bit tired, a little bit weary? Uh, the reason for that is I am. Because Christmas has just come and gone. And people said to me, John, did you have a good Christmas and a a, a good new year? And I'm answering everybody the same way I survived. Uh, I've got six grandchildren now. One of them is six and the rest are five and under. And we had 18 of us for Christmas Day dinner. And, And with little children of six and under, they find every orifice in your body. I had Kids pulling me this way and that way and this way. And they came over from Australia to be with us, two of them, who uh, were born out there. They're Aussies. My daughter lives out there. And we were all together for the first time uh, for quite a while. It was absolutely tremendous. But how many of you know it's wonderful to see them come, and then when they're going, it's wonderful to see them go as well. (laughs) And so I survived Christmas and survived New Year. And it was very, very happy to get back to work, actually, for the rest, because it really was quite a busy time. My wife sends her love to you all. Um, she normally would be with me. She really wanted to come to Cambridge and was really, really looking forward to it. But uh, things have cropped up and she's just got to be at home uh, today. And so uh, she sends her love and her greetings to you. And so that's good. I've just brought one or two little resources. I think I brought them before. I was hoping that a new book would have been out by now, but it's going to be out uh, in a few months' time, all about team building and working together in team, which is particularly for leaders. But there are um, some resources downstairs, Destined to Soar, all about the life of the eagle and the things that we can learn from eagles. And so the six um, little uh, CDs in there. And then the book, Happiness. I think I told you this before. God wants you to be happy. That's why I'm so glad for Peter going to bed happy. That's not in my book. I must put that in the book. Uh, but uh, it's 26 chapters on the things that we need in our lives in order to be happy. One thing is A stands for attitude. Got to have the right attitude. B stands for balance. Get a balance in your life. C for character and so on. And so that, that's that book. And then there's defeating the giants, which is all to do with the fact of God wants us to Get away of our fears and move into all that God has got for us. And so you can look at those um, there on the resource desk downstairs. Okay. Now I really want to uh, give you a bit of a warning, if I may. I've already warned your pastor and told him that today would be very, very different. How many of you like it when you go to church and you don't quite know what's going to happen? Oh, not many of you. Because, um, you see, the, 
The fact is this, that truth is truth. And it was 25 years ago, over 25 years ago, that God dropped something into my heart. And um, 25 years on, as I was praying for you and what I would share here, God reminded me of something that I had found in the scriptures many, many years ago. And I couldn't shake it off. So I looked up all my notes. I've probably got thousands of messages over all these years. And I began to look up and I began to pray into something that God gave to me many, many years ago as a young man when I was uh, more radical and more revolutionary than probably what I am now. And I've prayed into it. I've altered some things. But I want to share with you a message of truth that will really, really help you And even what we were talking about last night, I began to realize uh, that this message can help you at Cambridge in the coming year and the coming years. But the only thing is, the only thing is, if you are of a nervous disposition, it is better that you leave now. You You know those TV programs where they say something is coming on the screen whereby if you are of a nervous position, turn away or turn the sound down or turn the TV off. I felt that this deserved a JP warning, a health warning. So if anybody does want to leave, they can leave now. Hmm. Okay. Let's pray. Father. I ask that into this place you will help me to communicate truth from your word this morning, something that will never, ever be forgotten, and help this church to progress. I thank you that you are a God that speaks, and that by your Holy Spirit you can speak in such a way that your name is glorified. And to that end, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles, please, if you've got them, or your iPads, or whatever it is that you look at the Word of God. Uh, But I want to read from the book of Romans and the 12th chapter, where in verse 3 it says this, For I say, through the grace given to me, that everyone who is amongst you not to think of themselves more highly than they ought to think, but rather to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, Let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, and he who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Verse 4, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ. If I was to give a title for what I want to share with you that I never ever want you to forget, it's this. A body that is one is a body that has won. A body that is one, O-N-E, is a body that has won, W-O-N. 
Now, I noticed very, very much that there were some R's and there were some O's that were going on a little bit earlier. As I took what was a very, very beautiful little teddy bear and carved him up, his arm cut off, his leg cut off, finally his head cut off. And yet the truth is this, that we have an enemy who is called the devil who seeks to do what I did with that doll in the body of Christ. One of the plans of the enemy is to sow seeds of discord and deception and distrust and division. So much so uh, that uh, the church is not generally one. I'm so glad that you really pushed that matter relating to all the churches in Cambridge coming together. I'm going to tell you that's something that the devil certainly would not like. And it's amazing how some folk would be more concerned that I've done that to a doll or to a teddy bear than they would be praying into the situation that this church and the church in Cambridge and the church worldwide would be one. Christ's prayer is that you might be one. And that every single one of you will find your place in the church, whether it be a hand or a foot, or whether it be a finger or a leg, but you find what you are to do, and then you are to do it in harmony with the rest of what is called the body of Christ. For uh, a good number of years, I lived in the greatest city. I know you think it's Cambridge, but I've got to differ with you because for me, the greatest city in this country wasn't even where I was born, but it's where the greatest football team is, Liverpool. I've suddenly lost a few folk. I don't know why. I said Liverpool. Anybody support Liverpool? Good. You see, God bless. Let me just shake these hands. The Lord bless you, sir. Who's down here? Who's Liverpool? Yes. God. Bless. Anybody else? With God bless you, mate. Good on you. The rest of you, forget it. I'm not shaking your hands. I mean, talk about one. <laughs> you know, Liverpool. We went there uh, many, many years ago to pioneer a church right in the inner city. It was a tremendous adventure, and uh, we were right in the inner city right in Chinatown, right there. Uh, And after about, I suppose, a month or two, a friend of mine by the name of Dave Cave. That's a good name, isn't it? Dave Cave. Uh, (laughs) Dave Cave came and picked me up in his car. He said, John, I want to show you around Liverpool. He was the minister of a local Baptist church. And um, he drove me around and he took me and he said, look at that building there. He says, a group of people meet in there. It's a massive building, but there's only about 20 folk that go there now. It used to be absolutely packed out. I said, what happened? He said, there was a split. And there was a schism. And one elder had a fallout with another elder, and there was a bit of a breakdown. He said, come with me. And we drove just around the corner, not far. uh, And there was a little hut there. And he said, the group that left, they now meet there. He said, but the funny thing is, and then, well, not funny, but he took me then and just around a few more streets. And he says, and the group that split from them, they meet there. And what he did, he took me around the city of Liverpool, which is a tremendous city, but has many, many churches. 
And in some senses, it's known as the church of, of uh, the city of churches in this nation. Uh, it's an amazing thing because there's the Anglican Cathedral and there's the Roman Catholic Cathedral at the end of one road. And that road is called Hope Street. Interesting that, isn't it, in Liverpool? The Anglican Cathedral and the Catholic Cathedral. But Dave Cave, with a name like that, I'd change it, wouldn't you? Probably to Prave or something. Dave Prave, that sounds like that. But Dave Cave, he took me around. He took me around all of these churches and all of these groups. And he said, really, you've come to a city where there's been a lot of splits and a lot of schisms. I, uh, I, I, I emigrated to Australia with my wife. That's when we took our youngest daughter. And she fell in love, married an Aussie. And that's why now I've got a couple of uh, grandchildren that are Australian. But when we were there, we lived in Adelaide. Do you know what Adelaide is called? The city of churches. Quite amazing. And I went to Adelaide, and it wasn't Dave Cave, but somebody else that drove me around. And they told me a similar story. That on every street corner, there's a little church group that meet. And very often, that group doesn't talk to that group, and that group's got a problem with that group, and... And really, all they're doing is they're just uh, showing me a picture of the church like this, splintered and cut up and not in unity. Now, what God wants to do is to find a body of people that are so in love with him that actually they recognize their part in the wider body of Christ like you're doing. I'm so glad. God will bless you if you keep that on your agenda. Because I'm here today to tell you, which you won't like, that this is not the church in the city of Cambridge. This is a part of the church in the city of Cambridge. It's it's the part that I would go to if I was here. I'd be here. I'd be I'd be just because I think it's great. But in fact, wherever Jesus is being preached today, I say God bless them. Where, wherever today Christ is being uplifted in Cambridge and around, we say, Lord, let your spirit be there. And may they know blessing. And we pray for the pastors and the vicars and the leaders and the padres. Call them what you will. We pray for other brothers and sisters in Christ. But as we pray for our city, my burden was to come and to pray for you. You're one year in to your ministry. There's so much good that is happening. My, the stories that you told me last night are the things that are happening. It's very, very exciting. But, but I come as one amongst you that's been a Christian for a long time. And whereas God is pleased and favors you and is blessing you, the devil does not like it. And what the devil would seek to do is to cause schisms and splits and for something to occur where so-and-so begins to question or argue with so-and-so and misses... And before you know what is happening, it's so easy. I've seen it too often that that is, that is birthed in blessing and continuing in blessing is suddenly attacked. And then division comes in. And the Bible makes it absolutely clear that it's where the Lord finds brothers and sisters dwelling together, living together, being together in unity, that there he commands the blessing.
You see, what the devil wants to do, ultimately, is to ruin and rob the work of years ago, and now I've altered them a little bit for you here. Make sure that the enemy doesn't do with ours with many, many churches. And so I jotted down a number of things. Listen to what they are, and may they help you. Key principles, then, that will keep this church strong in the days that lie ahead, so that your second year anniversary is even more blessed than the first. And you're, I mean, he gets pretty excited up here, doesn't he? But he's even more excited next year because God wants it to go on and on from strength to strength. The first thing is this. Remember it. Every one of you, please. It's the people that count, not counting the people that's the most important. It's the people that count, not counting the people that's the most important. Now, none of you are old enough to remember this. Or are there? There used to be a cigarette. Of course, you're all Christians. You wouldn't know this. But there used to be a cigarette called Players. Anybody remember Players Cigars? Some of you, yes. Do you know what was on the inside of the flap of the cigarette packet? Of course you wouldn't know. It's the tobacco that counts. That was their little motive. So players' cigarettes were called, it's the tobacco that counts. I want to say that regarding King's Church, Cambridge, it's the people that count. You see, why is it that when we go to conferences and what have you, we very often ask, how many people are you getting now? We're always interested in numbers. Now, numbers are important. It can be a barometer. It can show us something of the blessing of God. There's more people this Sunday than there was a year ago when I came with my wife. And next year, should I ever come again if I'm invited, then we'd expect there to be more people. It can be an indicator of God's blessing upon a house, upon a church. But actually, why is it that we're fascinated by numbers if that's what it's all about when it isn't? You see... It's the people that count, not counting the people that's all important. I I, I want to read something to you. I've read this quite a number of times, and I can't help but be affected by it every single time. It's called, Who Cares? Who, Who really cared? You see, his was a routine admission to a busy Bellevue hospital. He was a charity case. He was one amongst hundreds. He was a, a bum, a tramp from the Bowery with a slashed throat. You say, the Bowery? That's the last stop before the morgue. It was the synonym of filth and loneliness and cheap booze and drugs and disease. The details of what happened on that pre-dawn of chilly winter's morning were a little bit fuzzy. The nurse probably shrugged it off. She'd seen thousands and she was sure to see thousands more. Would it have made any difference if she had known who he was? Hmm, probably so. You see, his recent past was the antithesis of his earlier years. The Bowery became the dead-end street of an incredible life. But all of that was over now. It was a 25-cent-a-night flophouse that had rooms you only hear about but never want to see, full of stinking humanity, too miserable to describe. And he was one amongst many, like all of the rest. His health had gone and he was starving and he now lived only to drink. 
On that icy January morning before the sun had crept over New York's skyline, the shell of a man who looked twice his age hit his head on a wash basin as he fell. The basin, well, was there, and he was found lying in a heap, naked and bleeding from a deep gash now in his throat. His forehead was badly bruised. He was semi-conscious. A doctor was called. No one special, after all. Remember, this was the Bowery. The doctor used black sewing thread that somebody had found to try and bind up the wound. That'd do. And all the while, the bum, the tramp, was begging for another drink. A buddy who shared the bottom of a rum bottle came to his aid and helped calm his nerves. And then he was dumped in a paddy wagon, dropped off at, yeah, the Bellevue Hospital, where he was going to languish, unable to eat for three days, and, and then he died. Still unknown. A friend seeking him was directed to the local morgue, and there, amongst dozens of others, colourless, nameless corpses, with tags on their toes, he was identified. And when they scraped together his belongings, they found a ragged, dirty coat, with 38 cents in one pocket and a scrap of paper in the other, all of his worthy, early, earthly goods. Enough co coins for another night at the Bowery, and five words written on that piece of paper. Dear friends and gentle hearts. Hmm. It was almost like the words of a song that someone thought. But who cared? Why in the world would a forgotten drunk carry around the line of some lyrics? Maybe. He still believed that he had it in him. Maybe that derelict with the body of a bum still had the heart of a genius. You see, for once upon a time, long before his tragic death at the age of 38, he had written songs that had made literally the whole world sing. Songs like Camp Town Races, Oh Susanna, Beautiful Dreamer, Genie with Your Light Brown Hair, and 200 more that have become deeply rooted in American heritage, thanks to Stephen Foster, whom nobody knew and for whom nobody cared. See, it reminds me of a little poem. Many a man with a life out of tune, battered and scarred with sin, is auctioned cheap to the thoughtless crowd, much like an old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He's going once, he's going twice. He's going almost gone. Almost. Almost gone. Unless somebody cares and steps in. And in love rebuilds a life and restores a soul, rekindles a flame that sin has snuffed out, and perhaps renews a song that was once there. I want to tell you something, Phil, as you told me the stories yesterday of when you go out onto the streets. It's a ministry that every church in this country needs to pick up again. For the bum or the tramp in the gutter can turn out to still be the greatest evangelist that Britain has ever known. The person that comes in that has sold their body to men for many a year can suddenly find in Christ that he's the one that can give them a new song within their heart. And a church that begins to recognize that it's actually 
Not counting the people that's important, but it's the people that count. Is a church that's not going to find division because they are focused on something greater and bigger and better than themselves. This church has always got to have those glass doors, glass doors that open it right up to the whosoever may come. The bank manager, the millionaire, and the person who's down on their fortune and perhaps never known what it is to have an arm around them and told that we care for you and that we love you. I'm going to tell you something very, very clear here. In the evangelistic project that Phil spearheads in getting out there, everyone needs to be involved. Not necessarily even going out there, but while it's happening, there's people that are praying. And perhaps not even you can't get on that night, but you can send a prayer up to heaven from right where you are. Capture the heart of what this is all about. It's about realizing that people are what really, really counts. The second thing is this. Building strong relationships is your job. To build the church is Christ's work. You see, ours is not to build the church. A year ago, you took on the mantle of being the senior leader here, together with a great team. But the truth of the matter, in the end, it's Christ that said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Too many pastors, they, they allow the enemy in because they call it their church. Oh, we've got to build the church. No, what you've got to do is actually build a community whereby you build strong relationships. Where, like it was this morning, may that never ever cease. That people are giving one another a hug. I watched as you hugged people, as you greeted one another. That's family, that's community. And let me tell you, the bigger you get, the harder it is to maintain that. It can become clicky. It can become that, you know, oh no. I'm here today to put a line right down and say this church is going to be one that's always going to enjoy relationship building where it's all inclusive and the whosoever will may come. Make sure that you don't get into cliques. Make sure that you get to know as many people as possible. Of course, there'll be special friends. Of course, there'll be people that you'll be closer to than others. That's natural. That's proper. And as things grow, it's impossible to know everybody. But you can keep an openness of realizing, hey, the devil wants to rob us of relationship. And we will not allow that. Because we're not going to have a body that's divided. We're going to know where we fit. And then we're going to function in that. <laughs> the third thing is this. Always, and this fits in with your heart. Always be outward looking more than inward looking. It's a great question. What could we do better now than we can do when we get to heaven? I, I, I mean, it's not going to be uh, worship. Because although the worship might be nice, we're going to worship, I reckon, around the throne once we're dead and once we're with all the other millions of believers. I reckon the worship in heaven's going to be pretty spectacular. So, so even though we are to worship God when we come together, the worship in heaven is going to be a lot better. Uh, teaching, you've got teaching nights. Oh, 
It's great to have teaching nights, to be studying the word of God, but now we know in part. There's nobody that's got it all together. So I think when we get to heaven, we're going to be know as we are known, and it's going to have a fuller understanding and, uh, and knowledge. So it's not worship, and it's not teaching. What about using the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Let's motor in them. Let, let, let's go for it. Let's have words of knowledge like you had yesterday when you was in Tesco or wherever it was. What, what, what was it? Tesco. Little advertisement for Tesco. They, they need every advert we can give them. Tesco. He was in Tesco. I like Waitrose. My wife likes Littles. Let me tell you, but it doesn't matter. Out on the streets there using a word of knowledge. Fantastic. But actually... The, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now we even prophesy in part. And, uh, now there's one thing we can do better now that we can't do in heaven. Do the work of the evangelist. You see, there's coming a day when actually it'll be too late to witness. When we get to heaven, the worship's going to be better. When we get to heaven, then... We're going to know even as we are known, our knowledge will be more complete. But by then it will be too late to share your story. What God has done for you. And I believe that actually, if we want to remain one, if we want to remain united, if we want to remain in that place, then we've got to be more outward looking than we have inward looking. (laughs) When we're concentrating on those that aren't yet a part of the church, You've all heard it, haven't you? That whole thing of the church exists for those that don't yet belong to it. And that's what this place is. That's why you're having those doors done. That's why it's a part. Do you know having that the scaffolding up? It's one of the greatest evangelistic things you can do. I was telling Phil yesterday that a young man came to me some years ago, many years ago actually, up north. He'd just taken on a church and... Uh, he, he said, John, he said, what do you think the greatest evangelistic thing is I could do? I said, go and get your overalls on, buy a ladder and paint the church. He didn't like what I said. He thought I was going to give him some keys, use the you know ABC of winning people to Christ. No, 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 no. You see, this place is already a tremendous testimony in, in the very way that it's got the decor and it's done to a standard of excellence. But this project, to have the outside done, and, and to have glass doors put on so people can see in. I'm going to tell you that's evangelistic. That's got an element to it, and I prophesy into it that that's got an element into it whereby that alone is going to result in people wanting to come and come into this building. It's not just so that we can have nice buildings. That's not what it's about. It's about people, and it's about winning the lost, and it's being outward-looking more than inward-looking. I've got a whole number of points. I'll just read through them, I think, and then I'm going to pray for you. Esteem and honor others, even when others don't honor and esteem you. In other words, the Bible says this, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, honoring one another above yourselves. Recognize that everyone has got... It was tremendous what you two did. It was a demonstration of honoring. First, it was like the reciprocal, wasn't it? It was like, you'd scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. <laughs> the only thing is, it came across very genuine because you both meant it. 
And I think it's a good thing to do that. I, 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 I'm here a year on, and it's a good thing to say, I've watched from a distance, and uh, actually Phil and Emma are on a little discipleship group that we, we do, uh, seven times over two years called Excel. And God's blessed you with good leaders. And they can't do it alone. They need others alongside. And actually, you can't do it on your own. You need others alongside. So that what? So that we all become a part of this body here. And we find what it is that we can do. Dare I say it, that the person that welcomes the people as they come through the door are as important as the person that preaches. The smile, the handshake, the how are you. The person that leads us in worship did a great job, by the way, mate. Well done. Fantastic. That's his role. That's his part in the body. But the person that comes and then gets the hoover (laughs) will be doing an equally important role. It's just doing what we can in the whole that makes it so very, very important. And in honoring one another and in steaming one another, I tell you this, when we do that, the devil's got no foothold to get in and cause division. The fifth thing is to do not preach servanthood without always practicing servanthood. If if God could find a church where everybody realizes they are a part of the leadership. uh, What do you mean, John? Well, you know how you spell leadership, don't you? I'll, I'll spell it for you in case you don't, because I know that in Cambridge, not everybody can spell. Are you ready? S-E-R-V-A-N-T-H-O-O-D. That's how you spell leadership. Servanthood. It's not a case of people on the platform having a higher role or a higher position. We come to our role through servanthood. The sixth way is to always look at things through the eyes of Jesus. So you see one another's potential. The person that you witnessed to at Tesco. Have I mentioned Tesco already? (laughs) You saw a young lad in Tesco and had a word of knowledge about him after he'd left me last night uh, and and prayed for a lad. I, I think it's great. You've got a great gift in that area. Not everybody has got that same gift to be able to do that, but they can all support it and pray with it. And, and, and some of you will catch that because I do believe that the message of the gospel is not for the four walls of a building, but taken out. But that lad that, that, that you actually prayed for there. Don't go to a church, backslider. But actually, tremendous potential. One day he could be the pastor of this church. Say, John, I don't know whether I like that. (laughs) But was that not your testimony? Away from God, not knowing anything? God takes the foolish things of the earth to confound the wise. My own testimony is I'm not from a kind of a religious or Christian upbringing. I come from a mining community on the outskirts of Coventry. We were Scargillites. We were all miners. When I was at school, one of the things that we did is that we had to go down the pit and down the mines. That was just the way that it was. I came out of school with no qualifications whatsoever other than a little bit of shorthand and typing because I wanted to go into journalism and I liked the girls' class better than the boys' woodwork class. (laughs) I went to Bible college and I didn't even complete my course at Bible college. And now I head up the Bible college. It's an amazing thing. (laughs) And the God in the heavens sits and laughs. 
And people in the Assemblies of God can't understand it. And neither can I. All I know is that you've got to be like Jesus and see potential in people. And every one of you here, I see potential in you. I see you to being a part of this great body whereby you can make such a difference. Every one of you, destiny is written over you. And actually, as we drove to the Indian last night, because we had a little Indian curry last night, my favorite food, I think it's probably one of yours as well. I don't like greens much either. Oh, dear me. I didn't get a body like this eating too many greens, let me tell you. The people in the restaurant on the next table, nice people actually they were, people for whom Jesus died. The boss, how he greeted us and shook our hands, a person for whom Jesus died. And what we've got to do if we want the enemy to be robbed of causing division and destruction is to view people through the eyes of Jesus, people for whom he died. And if we have difficulty doing that, just go and look in a mirror. Because Christ saw you and saw me and died for you and for me. There's more things that I've jotted down here, but I want to pray. I've said enough. You've got the message of what I've come here for. Drove from south of Bristol down by Western Supermare. It's three or four hours. And uh, I'll be going home after this. See, see my little wife. And uh, why would anybody jump in a car and drive to come to... I tell you why. Because Christ died for the church and he loves it. And so do I. And I've been to too many places whereby the blessing of God has been. And yet something has got in and caused... That, that I showed you earlier visually. And I believe a body that's one is a body that's one. And one year on, from when hands were laid upon you and when you were inducted into the leadership here, the senior leadership of this church, as things are being blessed, I want to bring you just a fatherly warning that the enemy doesn't like what's happening. So pray in to this whole aspect of being in unity. For it's there that God commands the blessing. Thank you for listening and we trust that the word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.